Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 532 on Tuesday, the 4th of July, yeehaw, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be shocked and stunned to find out limited competition means we motorists are worse off. In new new car news, we are at loggerheads over one car. And we recommend a lunchtime watch that shows us what could have been. Oh, it's a very good one. But first, we have a smidgen of follow-up. It's not quite as enjoyable as you just made it sound. (laughs) And this is the news that the new bi-directional cameras that were installed in Devon and Cornwall, not as we said uh, the week before, but a little bit longer than that, 15 days ago, have caught... 3,200 speeding drivers, or it's been activated 3,200 times, actually, I should probably say, uh, in since it was installed in the first 15 days. Now, thank you to Mark Snow for, for bringing that to our attention. Uh, we do appreciate that. But that is a shocking number of uh, times it's activated. They did say that they were being put specifically in a point where speeding is an issue. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's three thousand two hundred out of how many vehicles passing? Of course, I mean that's you know what's the percentage? If there's a thousand passing an hour on average, then that's actually not a very high number. Yeah, really mm-hmm. big headline number. What's it actually mean? Yes, and were they actually all speeding, or was that just what? That's a different problem. <laughs> yes. Do you want to take us to new news and the plea and begging from the SMMT? UK automotive industry is calling for an industrial strategy. Really, it is trying to grab at the coattails of any politician who might actually deign themselves to bother listening, paying attention, or even being aware that there is a UK automotive industry. They want to grab the £106 billion, which is potentially up available if there is some sort of support for battery electric vehicle production in the UK. They're calling for a cross-party adoption of five pledges as part of an industrial strategy to drive industrial transformation, mobility for all, upskilling, global trade, and clean, affordable energy. Uh, The idea is that this £106 billion I've just mentioned will come about via the tenfold rise in volume of EVs between now and the end of the next parliament. If people commit now, Big wins for whoever wins the next election that they turn around and go, oh, look, 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 this all happened under us. SMMT unveiled this at a big conference last week, Mm. and there was politicians from the Conservatives and Labour, and both demonstrated they haven't really got a clue or have paid attention to the automotive industry, unfortunately. Yeah. They said lots of words. Some of it was remotely relevant. Most of it wasn't and showed a, a lack of commitment. I'm going to have my usual grumble about politicians these days. Politicians these days are not fault. Politi- about politicians or UK politicians in general just being from liberal arts, politics degrees, newspaper columnists, and not actually having an idea about engineering, manufacturing, or anything like that. It's just dirty stuff that doesn't interest them. Yeah. Whereas it underpins the economy with real stuff. Right. I'm going to move us on to more glorious news. And this is that the Competition and Market Authority found that supermarkets inflated fuel prices by up to six pence per litre because there is a reduced amount of competition on who can supply us our fuel. (sighs) Asda, by the way, didn't cooperate uh, with the CMA investigation and was fined 60 grand. But that's nothing. No. 
Asda, of course, now own, well, uh, via reverse takeovers and stuff, was, of course, bought out by by a, a, a chain of petrol stations. Yeah. So, yay. Yeah. There are recommendations from the CMA, which are, if depending where you read it, they're announced as the government will do this, and that's not what is being said here, but they are recommending that they that the UK follows what is done across Europe, which is to have live petrol prices uh, on a website or through an app where we, the consumer, can have a look in our area and go, actually, I'm not going to go to this supermarket. I'm going to go to my local forecourt because that's cheaper. Mm. And we can make informed decisions. Sorry, I'm flicking through this BBC article, of course. I think it has a, a little guide, a three-point guide to how to save money on petrol and diesel. All right. And one of them is switch off the air conditioning. What? Extra energy is needed to power a car's air conditioning system, and turning it on can increase your fuel consumption by up to 10%, according to the AA. The up to 10% is a significant one there. The other thing is, that's very, very old information. That's rubbish, really. (laughs) That's rubbish. That's in the olden days when air conditioning was something you tacked on afterwards and was completely manual. Um, That is not the case in modern cars. Mm. The cars will be doing that automatically and only turning on when needed, so just leave it turned on, for goodness sakes. If it has an auto button, press the auto button and don't touch the fan button. Exactly. I have opinions. (laughs) Sorry. So, supermarkets are screwing the farmers and they're screwing us motorists. Is there anybody they're not screwing? Let's move on to the next bit of news, please, Alan. (laughs) Their wives, ha! (laughs) Um... Speaking of speaking of screwing, uh, Audi has sacked its uh, CEO. Well, Volkswagen Group has sacked Audi's CEO amid a slow product rollout and a decline in China. Uh, so this is Marcus Jusman has been relieved of his position. Well, will be. He must be on gardening leave. On September the 1st, uh, current Volkswagen Group strategy boss, Gernot Dolner, it is going to be taking over. What? Another internal appointment after they bring in an external person to run a division? Who would have thought? Uh, Juisman was brought into the Volkswagen Group from BMW by Dice, but has been considered, according to this Forbes article, a dead man walking with little internal political support once Dice had been removed. Also worth mentioning, he was handed a rather poopy stick <laughs> yeah. with this, because Audi's entire model planning range for the next cycle was based on diesel and internal combustion. Of course, that was then removed. And similarly, they were to to try to boost sales in China. And um, if anybody's been following some of the news about uh, automotive stuff in China, uh, none of the Western brands are doing well in China. We might hear about Tesla and lots of hurrah because it's Tesla, but percentages are dropping and the Chinese um, in-country brands have gained a massive foothold uh, and established Western manufacturers are are not. Uh, it's slipping away from them uh, like nothing on earth, to be honest. A rather difficult one there to actually correct, uh, given that it was lots of circumstances out with anybody's actual control. There's a link to a uh, Twitter thread from uh, Matthias Schmidt, and I'm just going to re-quote one of them which will give you a flavour of explaining the context behind how uh, he has been actually stuffed in this one. There's one final sporting analogy. 
This is like disqualifying a marathon runner at the 41st kilometre stage of the race and passing the baton on to someone else to run the final kilometre that can claim potential victory. Because (laughs) you need to read the thread to understand just how bad a situation and what he was actually doing with, you know, one hand tied behind his back and was about to do something quite impressive, really, or potentially. Rather Nissan-esque in its uh, political behaviour going on there, I think. The only thing they didn't do was try and get the police to arrest him for fraud. (laughs) On the other hand, he missed out on all the fun of being smuggled out of the country inside an instrument case. Yeah. Let's move on to the next item, and this is the news that the Advertising Standards Authority has gone back to its usual performance and is now banning Hyundai and Toyota quick-charging ads. People complained because... The adverts didn't make it clear there is only a limited number in the UK of 350 kilowatt ultra-fast chargers. What? Quite why that's Toyota and Hyundai's problem, I can't actually understand. But on top of that, the complainants believed there were significant limitations to achieving the advertised speed, including low temperatures. But it... But... What's interesting, I'm curious how many people actually complained. This is one of these ones where I think some companies you, you can't win because um, ugh, anytime anyone makes any kind of car charging claim, then there's going to be one of these people who insists on, I'm, only, I'm never going to drive an electric vehicle. Oh, it's all about the internal combustion engine for me. These kinds of people and the extreme ends of that idiocy are the kind who are just going to complain about almost anything. Yeah, And if you give them something a little bit more, they'll complain a bit more. And then the advertising standards agency will do its usual sort of flop over like a sort of dead dog um, in in its usual manner. Yeah. Oh, somebody's complained. You've got to stop. Yeah, it's just it's, it. It's not well. We never hear the ones that get turned down, do we? Well, this is true. They must be absolutely and totally bat poo. <laughs> if these are the ones that get through, the ones that get turned down must be quite spectacular. Yeah. Do you want to move us on to uh, retail EV demand, or maybe lack of it? If you've been listening to, as I know you've been listening to the Motoring Podcast for the last however many years, then you'll know that once a month we do the SMMT new car registration figures, and we always talk about what the percentage of registrations is. That's split by by fuel, and we steal Tristan Young's, uh, we steal with credit yes. and with his permission, Tristan Young's types of fuel you put into your car stuff, and uh, numbers as well, which are sort of uh, based on more refined data than the SMMT publishes as standard. And you'll notice it's kind of plateaued lately, around 15%. Mm. And the thing is that by 2024, the government wants to hit 22% zero emission vehicle mandate. And people are saying there's not quite enough demand to manage that, especially not now that people have just bought and replaced their fleet yeah. post-COVID. It's sitting around that, around that sort of ten percent as far as fleets, ten to fifteen percent, and they don't know quite how you're going to manage that twenty-two percent target. If each manufacturer doesn't reach that twenty-two percent target, there'll be a fifteen thousand pound penalty for every car that the manufacturer sells that falls short of that twenty-two percent EV mix. That's quite draconian. That's quite high. I mean, I'm not sure it's as high as the EU's CO2 
for fleet, but it's still chunky. It's still a fairly hefty stick to get beaten with. So this sort of leads to the the only sort of conclusion that the only way that the, the car manufacturers are actually going to manage to do that is by not selling anything but zero emission, almost nothing but zero emission vehicles. So really watch. I mean, that's why stuff like the Fiesta's just gone. You know, that finished production just last week. Yep. And most of these small cars, because as soon as you're over there, if you're selling a if you're selling a twenty two thousand pound car, and then there's a fifteen thousand pound penalty on it. Funnily enough, you're not going to make any money. There's a real death of the small car here. We'll have linked in the show notes an article that's discussing um, research from Auto Retail Bulletin. Hmm. And now we have to caveat that this is talking to salespeople in the car industry. Their communications and representatives of the actual reality is going to be coloured. However, it does give an indication, I think we can fairly say. should point out that that colouring and indication is not specific to car salespeople. Yes. Just in case anybody thinks I'm picking on any particular type of salesperson. It's not necessarily the case. But the Auto Retail Barometer, which is where this call comes from, and is a survey of industry sentiments every six months, as it says in the article, Mm. reveals that more than 60% of new car retailers are experiencing retail battery electric vehicle demand below 15%. And for more than a third, retail demand is running at less than 10%. Mm -hmm. Al and I were discussing this before, and there's a number of reasons why this might be the case. One, they're not going to dealers. Two, they're not going in and asking those questions. Mm-hmm. They're looking for something particular. Three, we can also throw in the demand that people have to go and buy a new car anyway, particularly yeah. with prices going up. And uh, you know, we're all aware of the cost of living crisis and how things, particularly mortgages, are going to really impact. Um, we're being mm-hmm. told about that all the time. As Alan says, so many companies had delayed their fleet um, renewals, they won't be asking for it. Plus, fleet will not go through a retailer usually. They will go to a broker. Well, that's it. So I, I don't think it's a full picture. But it gives an idea, and I think that's why they put barometer in, in the name of it, and I think that's a, a wise thing to, to name it. Measures the pressure from the market, yeah. But interesting, because there's, there's lots of people saying, oh, all we need is the supply, and now there's lots of people saying, no, there's no demand. Mm. Somewhere in between, somebody's going to be right. Speaking of demand for company car vehicles, do you want to tell us about diesel and another this is not really news, but hey, let's make sure we're clear about it anyway type story? Yes. HMRC have been listening to the Motoring Podcast for some time and hearing Alan read out the figures. Oh, no, I do hope not. They've done. No. HMRC has revealed that more company cars are being uh, registered and their EVs. Whereas diesel fleet is plummeting, surprising no one in particular, particularly considering there is the incentives and, you know, th- this is the stating the bleeding obvious article of the week. Goodness, I am aghast, he says. Yes. Aghast. That's why all the manufacturers have slashed their, what used to be the high-end company cars, just whoosh, not there anymore. You want a BMW 530D? Nah. Can't get it. Doesn't exist. Not in the UK anymore. From everything that's happened in legislation and incentives and all the rest of it, company car CO2 emissions are averaging at just 86 grams per kilometre now, 
And if you take out EVs, the average is only 103 grams per kilometer. Yeah. So it's an astonishing reduction because from 2000, no, back in 2002, 2003, 58% of cars had CO2 emissions in excess of 165 grams. But they're new cars. Yes. And they're mostly maintained with new technology and they're mostly maintained. So this does not, it doesn't strike me. That, that does not surprise me. It's a, one of these weird things. Company cars are not a source of massive pollution. No, but th- this is something we're told, though, isn't it? We are told repeatedly, you have a car, you are evil, you are wicked, you are poisoning people, think of, oh, the, think good- of the babies, you're killing them, etc., etc. I got a good one on Twitter this morning. I posted a picture uh, last night of a, there was a Range Rover that's occasionally parked around here. Yeah, yeah. With the plate CEO. Okay. Never Okay. So, yeah, I know, I know, I know. So I said, you cross an ocean, you can't get away from people with boss number plates. (laughs) And I got a cracker of a response uh, this morning telling me that if you went on a cycle ride, if the the owner, obviously, uh, assumption of a he, that if they went on a cycle ride, then they would understand just how unimportant that their, their car is. Right, okay. I thought that was a particularly good one. Though. Please note, by the way, the bicycle in the background, anyone who's on video. Yep. Never mind. But that is, we're, we're always told how awful we are for owning cars, how, how dreadful the car industry and anyone who buys a car is. Figures, pollution, emissions are coming down. I'd like to point out, just as a counterpoint to that, that if you are putting boss or CEO on your number plate, you're probably a terrible person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, sticking with uh, EVs, do you want to take us to a report from ZapMap? Oh, this one is awfully confusing. ZapMap and the Green Finance Institute. Uh, The link in the show notes to this one, uh, because goodness me, you're going to need it. Have been revealing uh, EV charge point utilization across the public network. Now, that's the first time it's been done in the UK. By the way, this is why this is important. Mm-hmm. Or someone's tried to do it. Well, yes. They looked at all the char- public charges, and they looked at the average time-based utilization and the average energy-based utilization. So the first one was, is, of course, how much of the time the charger is being used and charging vehicles. And the second one, of course, is how much of the possible energy that could be delivered in the time that's been measured has actually been delivered by that charger. Yes. That was a mouthful. Generally, it looks like uh, there's a kind of reasonable spread um, across all the different chargers. Uh, Looking at the 2022 figures here, slow chargers, which is 3 to 6 kilowatts, are being used 13.7% of the time. Fast, which is 7 to 22, 15.7% of the time. Rapid, 14.8% of the time. That's 25 to 99. And ultra rapid, that's more than 100 kilowatts uh, are used 16.1% of the time. So that's all pretty close. It's all pretty close. It's a nice even spread. It's a general increase from 2021. But that's an awful, well, combined, if you look at the ultra rapid, there'll be an increase in the number of ultra rapids as well, as well as vehicles that can um, take advantage of that. Yeah, totally. But what, what I would say is, You've got a range of from almost 14% up to 16%. That's an awful lot of time not being used. Yes. Well, let's jump to some analysis in just a second once I've run through the energy-based okay. utilization. Because, again, how much of, of what they that says they should be being able to deliver are they? So for slow, it's 
For fast, it's 9.2%. For rapid, it's 10.6%. And for ultra-rapid, it's 4.4%. Quite a drop there. This, of course, great hullabaloo, isn't this good, all these kind of things. And I can't help but looking at them and going, hmm, all righty. Honestly, 15, 16% of the time my charges are in use. That's actually not bad. That's generally not bad. I mean, I think that it could be higher, but that depends on the right charges being in the right place at the right time and available as well. Yeah, this is that's where it does. There, there are certain caveats that do come into this mm. because you look at it and you go, "Well, we're being told there aren't enough charges, yet there's, you know, thirty-five. Uh, there's, you know, sixty, seventy-five percent of the time it's not being used, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But as you say, is it charges in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and available for the right vehicle and the right journey? It's stuff like so. A, a charger in a hotel car park, for example, will be busy in the evening, but might be empty most of the day. Whereas work will be busy if it's one in a work. Exactly. Remember, we found some public charges in yeah. work car parks. Won't be busy overnight. Won't be busy at the weekend. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Uh, similarly, if you're beside a motorway, there's going to be people coming and going all the time and charging all the time. A lot of it depends, is the right thing in the right place? And I guess some of the background metrics to this will help to, to work that one out and support that over time. The energy-based utilization one, is the one that is quite alarming, mm. especially the ultra rapids. The number of times you see people saying, oh, I've plugged in, I've paid, paying this much money, and look, instead of 125 kilowatts, 150 kilowatts that is meant to be, or 125 that my car can draw down, it's only getting 30, and I'm paying the ultra rapid prices. Yeah. Similarly, rapid, it's, it seems to be less of a case of, I can't find a charger. Less of a case of the charger's not work, not actually working or down. More a case of why the heck is it only dribbling out 20 kilowatts when I'm the only person at these two charges and they should be delivering me 50. So that's an issue. Zapmap's article does go on to discuss that. Mm. They do acknowledge the massive difference uh, between the time-based utilisation and the energy-based. Mm. And I'm going to quote here from the article to, to help explain. And they say that uh, a key factor explaining the gap is that there is often a difference between the max power rating of a charge point and the charging capability of the electric vehicle. That's Sorry, I meant to mention that as well, of course, if you try to plug in a 50 kilowatt car into a 150 kilowatt thing, immediately it can only draw down a third of the possible. It would be interesting to know the stats of how much that happens, Mm because I'm not sure that would happen all that often. But they go on to say that in parallel, there's the charging curve. Yeah. So the uh, electric vehicle only charges at peak rate for a proportion of the charge. And that has an impact, as does the difference between advertised power and delivered power. Yes. Yeah. So it can be the vehicle that's, re- that's constraining it and not, uh, and not necessarily the, 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 the charger. So lots and lots of factors. It's great that it's being measured because once it's being measured, you've actually got a starting point. And you can then start, you know, there's two points on the graph so far. Let's see what happens. Let's see what the trend is uh, over the next uh, over the next few years. I, I think it's, it's great that it's being measured, though, and I think it will provide an interesting uh, and vital insight. Yeah, and ZapMap are clear in saying, you know, we're the first people to try and do this, so there will be rough edges, mm. but at least we're trying to put something down to show something that can be measured and exactly. worked with. 
I'm very pleased to see that someone's not saying this is the definitive, that this is a starting point. That's good. Yeah, because you, until you do it, you don't know where the pitfalls are. Do you? No. 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 It's good stuff. Andrew, inductive charging of trucks. Yeah, we're going to stick with uh, electricized stuff. Very electric this week. Yes. Uh, the company Electron and GINAF have partnered up to create, a, this is in um, Sweden, as part of Electron Smart Road Gotland project. They've partnered up to convert a 50 ton DAF into an electric vehicle for one, but also that can be charged using inductive charging. They have managed to do this on the, uh, the, the road element, which has got inductive charging actually built into the road, um, so that the, the lorry will charge whilst driving over these inductive charging areas of the road, but also can do it while stationary. That's a great step forward because many attempts have been made to create inductive charging in roads, but they failed because they, they are nowhere near robust enough to deal mm. with traffic. It's going to be interesting to see how robust this is, irrespective of where we live, uh, both you and I, Alan, and mm. our local infrastructures and whether they would ever install such things. Let's, let's ignore that for the moment and just live with the pipe dream this is possible. I know what the answer is to that, to that whether they'd ever install it. Uh, yeah, I mean, th this has been around for a while. I've just, quick, uh, quick search, I brought up 2017 story about Qualcomm Halo being installed into, into road surfaces uh, and powering uh, not a converted DAF XF, but a Renault Kangoo instead. And I think that, yeah, the, the, the issue is the robustness of the surface. Now, way, way back in the dawns of time, when Qualcomm was a, a Formula E sponsor, one of the things about Formula E was that it was meant to be that, that ultimately there would be these charging zones built into the track, as well as the fan boost areas. There would be the ability to charge and boost the amount of power in the vehicle, essentially refuel during the race. Mm. Uh, obviously, that hasn't happened. Formula E doing its own thing, uh, change of strategy since those days but it's been around a while the important part about this i think is the robustness of it and the fact that you can charge the entire truck but the thing about the truck is you can pass more electricity because it's got a much bigger area underneath it than a car and therefore you can do it a lower amount for a longer period yeah i would imagine this is not quite trickle charging but it's not going to be massively high just to ensure that there is a constant yeah. and consistent energy supply mm -hmm. i think it's a cool idea i'm interested to see it working i think it's yeah i think it's generally it's another generally piece of the jigsaw because the thing is there are we need lots of lots of small parts to come together to make the whole thing work do you know what i think is going to be the failing of this and why it'll never become commercially possible uh, I've got a guess, but you you tell me. How the heck do you charge for it? I mean, I don't mean charge the vehicle for it. How do you bill for it? It'll be on toll roads. Hmm. How do you? Yeah, they'd have to. That would be the tricky bit. Is actually working out the who's identifying who's using all the energy at any point. Oh no no no! I, oh, I've solved it. They'll um, have access to all our vehicle data all the time, twenty four seven, so they'll be able to know. 
that's it. And then they can sell the data as well and use it yeah. for AI scraping and all sorts of good stuff. Excellent. That's it. You, we've solved it, everyone. You can just steal all our data again. Really does make me want to go and just agree with the people who say there should be no more cars on the road and just have a bicycle and cycle around. Anyway, let's let's move on from that and take us to uh, Ellesmere Port, please, Alan. Uh, Ellesmere, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'd really rather not. It's closer to no, you anyway. Uh, nobody wants to go to Ellesmere Port. Uh, however, despite all of that, uh, Vauxhall and Stellantis are talking about Ellesmere Port being carbon neutral in 2028. Uh, and they're going to do this by switching from natural gas to power, heat, etc. of the plant to hydrogen. And that's according to an announcement by Diane Miller. Uh, at the Autocar Great Woman Awards uh, uh, last last Wednesday. Uh, this is all going to be part of a government-funded scheme, what a surprise, uh, the HiNet scheme, which brings together companies to generate and pipe low-carbon gas substitute, low-carbon gas substitute, oh, God, to local homes and businesses. Let's not read too much into that, otherwise I'll just get angry. <laughs> the challenge here, everyone, is that we're all aware that there's different colours of colourless gas, yes? Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, there's, there's your grey hydrogen, and that comes from oil production, and it's, it's, it's hard, nasty hydrogen. Bad. Bad. There's blue hydrogen, which is made from natural gas, which isn't as bad as the grey hydrogen, but it's not as good as the green hydrogen, which, of course, is, is green hydrogen made completely using renewables like wave power uh, in the in the Orkney and Shetland and wind power and all that kind of stuff. So, of course, to be carbon neutral, they're going to be using the green hydrogen. Not, no, no, they're not. They're using the blue hydrogen from the nearby Stanlow oil refinery uh, from natural gas using uh, Johnson Mealy's LCH method. So you're thinking, well, how can that of be carbon, carbon neutral of carbon mac capture? Well, I'll get into that bit. LCH management of carbon capture. So how can that be? I don't know. How could that I've never, be? I've never looked it? into. I've not looked into carbon capture. I've only seen very angry people being very angry about it on social media and right. stepped away. Well, that makes you an expert then. Uh, so that captures. Supposedly, that LCH method uh, captures over ninety-five percent of the carbon in the in in the process, which still leaves some, which yeah. makes me wonder about the neutrality of it. And and that will then be used to generate electricity. It's rather strange that one. Don't completely get it. I mean, it's it's yeah. good good words, good words, but I don't know that it's real life. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to stand in the cool on this, shall I? Well, I'm going to take you now to something that is real, uh, and that is the news that Autocraft EV Solutions. Uh, has revealed that they've pioneered how to repair and remanufacture EV batteries at scale, safely and sustainably. This is a big, big part of the mm. circular economy and is a huge thing in how we are going to require less resources moving forward. Now, we know the likes of Ralph Hosier has talked about for quite some time that you don't have to consider an EV written off if one or two of the cell or a few of the cells are damaged because you can repair them. And he actually does courses on how to repair them uh, and everything. But this is the first time that we're talking about remanufacturing them as well mm. at a large scale mm. and not like cars one at a time. This is huge for the UK because one, we'll keep 
this within our shores, which is a big problem when it comes to rules of origin that we were discussing last week and we'll keep discussing as the weeks progress, I'm sure. Ad nauseam, I'm sure. Because this article goes on to explain how batteries are reused now. There's two main ways. One is it becomes a static storage, so like these wall storage units Mm. for housing or um, offices which is a great way to use them. And another one is that they are recycled, which means that you burn down them. You incinerate the battery to get out the special, uh, to get out the rare metals and then reuse them. That just makes me suck through my teeth. I'm sorry. It just, but that is very much a, one of those moments where you go, ah, so you're, you're saying you must do this because it's good for the environment. Yet that one's okay. That's bad for the environment because you agree with it. And it's very much one of those moments. The less we do of that, the better. And the more of let's remanufacture, repair Mm. them and reuse them. Because as we've seen, batteries last so much longer than people were expecting. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, Speaking of this, I found a really, there's a interest, I've been watching an interesting series on YouTube from uh, Legit Streetcars. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you saw, he bought a, a concept van that was meant to be plug-in hybrid, but it was the show-off concept that was meant to bring in loads and loads of government money uh, to the startup and didn't. He's trying to fix it and put it together, and one of the things he found is that the absolutely custom built-for-this-van battery had a bunch of bad cells. And it's quite interesting watching him fix the cells, both by gently and carefully recharging and replenishing the cells and bringing them back to life that way, and also by, you know, the possibility of, of rebuilding parts of it if that doesn't work. But, of course, it's completely custom. You can't get the bits. It's quite interesting, him partly having to just diagnose this mess, but also bringing the batteries back, having them having sat for, what, eight years or something. It's very interesting. And it, it's it's a one-off, one-person-doing-it project, but it's, it's interesting to see what could be possible on a much larger scale. Because we all we all say, well, you know, of course, batteries, you're mining, you're doing this. The thing is that once the the the, the content of the battery is out, it's not just getting burnt off like it is with petrol or diesel or internal combustion fuels or even uh, blue hydrogen. It's out and it's there and it can be recycled and reused. And hopefully, in the future, we don't have to mine as much of it. Yeah, because we get much better at recycling and reusing and replacing. But it's it's the whole sort of reuse repair recycle type thing yeah yeah no, it's uh, and i think it's the really circular important. economy thing it, yeah, yeah. it is it is it, one it, it's better for the planet and us therefore but mm. two it's really fascinating and interesting the sort of things that have to be developed um made better and investigated to allow that to happen uh, and improve over time it yeah. is it is brilliant stuff absolutely brilliant. i love Sorry. that sort of thing Sorry, got, no, got off on a total tangent from the actual story there, but, but only because it's interesting. But I think that rounds out the first part, though, Alan. Yeah, some of our listeners can have enjoyed a nice casual jog during that first part. It was, it was long enough. I haven't edited it yet. I know. <laughs> well, now, don't worry, because now we've reached guilt minute. The quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast worth a small considering each and every month, you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Welcome to new patrons uh, over the last couple of weeks as well. Thank you. 
you rock. Uh, we also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. But if you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very, very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does, because mm. we know you do. Right, Alan, do you want to take us to new, new car news and a, a vehicle we may or may not get? Um, yeah, all right then. The 2024 Zipeng, I think that's how you pronounce it. Possibly not with quite as much emphasis. It's not Xpeng, but it's Zipeng. Uh, as you can tell, it's a Chinese brand. Uh, G6 is going to launch with a 360-mile range for £22,900, uh, provided you buy it in China. Yes. It is still under consideration for UK sales. It looks like a cross between uh, Porsche, KN, Coupe, a little bit of Lamborghini Urus, and a little bit of generic EV light bar across the frontness in there. So yeah. it's, it's not unattractive, but it's not exactly going to set the world alight uh, with its new design direction. It's another SUV Coupe as well. It is, it is, sadly. The price given there, that 22900 for the base single-motor rear-wheel drive model. Uh, the more powerful dual-motor four-wheel drive model uh, is expected to start from £30,200 in China. Zipeng claims it already holds three. Uh, 35,000 orders for the G6, uh, which comes with the choice of a 66-kilowatt-hour iron phosphate battery or an 87.5-kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery. Those provide 360 and 469 miles, uh, respectively, on the Chinese light-duty passenger car test cycle. I don't know how accurate that is, because I know people complain about WLTP, and they're very positive about the US equivalent. They say that's very accurate. Supposedly, it's quite accurate, actually, yeah. Um, So I I don't know how accurate accurate that is to real world driving mm-hmm. it's known as the cltc if you do decide to go off and do your own research into them. they're under consideration as part of Peng's longer term plans to establish a sales presence here but they'd have to right hand drive production blah 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 yet to be confirmed blah 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 yep impressive range though yes yes very impressive range especially for the price yeah i'm going to take us to singer now Uh, And Alan's going to get cross, and I'm going to go weak at the knees. Mainly because I'll never own one of these, so it doesn't matter. And Alan can come in in a minute and explain why he gets quite so jolly cross for no real reason whatsoever. That's being told to shut up, isn't it? This is the 2 million singer DLS-T, which is going to be revealed at Goodwood later on this month. No, it isn't. It's already been revealed. Look, they've shown us it. Sorry, it has been revealed ahead of its Goodwood debut. Apologies. Oh, yes, right. You oh, are quite correct. I didn't actually read it. I was just being argumentative. No, you are correct. That is right. What they've done is they've taken a, a 964 of the 911 and have made it very singerish and done things that are very singerish and which you can probably specify every single tiny element of the car to your heart's desire in a very bespoke manner, as long as you've got the cash. However, I don't care. I'm just looking at the gold one, which is the top picture, and I think it looks amazing. And now for Alan to tell us exactly why he's so cross about this happening. And once again, all this is is a flipping 
rich person circle jerk. This is going to be built. It's going to people are going to have picked the colors of their stitching, and they're going to have decided. You know, they've got to match it to this particular vegetable that I found in Whole Foods or my personal assistant found in Whole Foods. And it's going to be all so this. What, so what Bentley have started to make massive profits just, for them? Yeah, but that's not the point. Okay. Bentley are you, doing there is it a point to this, not just There that. is a point to it. And, it but, and it's going to be all that, and then it's just going to sit in a garage. Right. Okay? And in order to make this vanity thing, which is, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it does look cool, okay? It looks, in a very Hot Wheels kind of way, it looks cool. And we've recently had poster cars that we've been talking about, and we know we'll never see them mm. and everything else. Yeah, and else. this is one of those. But what annoys me is it destroys an otherwise perfectly reasonable Porsche 964, which is like the one that people like me could have afforded before all of this stuff. Uh, Self-editing. So it's jealousy. No, it's jealousy not jealousy. It's the fact that it's ruining, it's taking away the accessibility, and it's destroying the stocks of a particular rare Porsche model because it didn't make a huge number of 964s and it seems that just about every second one has been turned into some sort of pastiche of something else thanks to Singer thanks to all of these no it's not an opportunity it's no, no, just no. annoying. it's not an me. opportunity for Porsche to come out with a continuation model yes but they still can't afford it that's not helping they should be a continuation model that's available for people like Singer and all the other copycats so that they can then base all their pastiches of other older Porsche models on that rather than on proper original ones so that people like me can possibly damn well afford one, all right? What I'm hearing is Alan's actually angry that he can't afford a stock, or he couldn't afford a stock one prior to Singer, and he definitely can't afford one now. He could only just not afford one prior to Singer. That was the problem then. You should have worked harder, Alan. That's your own fault. Stick it, clues. <laughs> Moving on, the McMurtry Spurling Pure goes on sale with a thousand brake horsepower for a mere nine hundred and eighty-four thousand pounds in the UK. That is, that is eight hundred and twenty thousand pounds plus your local taxes. Should you be anywhere else in the world? So yes. From 2025, you'll be able to buy one of a hundred one thousand brake horsepower single seaters. It is nearly identical to the prototype which absolutely mullered the hill at Goodwood uh, last year, complete with the fact that it sucks itself down to the road with up to two tons on demand uh, down downforce. That is 15% more efficient than the Goodwood record-breaking car. It is also more efficient, uh, which means it's which means it is more powerful and thus faster than the record-breaking car. It could do not 62 miles an hour in 1.5 seconds, although I don't know if I could, and continue on to a top speed of 190 miles an hour. The battery is 60 kilowatt hours, which is 15% lighter than the, the prototype ones. <laughs> it's just so stupid. And you can go out and buy one and drive it on the road. Goodness me. Um, if you don't want to drive it on the road, and I think I can understand why that might be, partly because drivers of larger vehicles might drive over you, uh, then it is eligible. Or you become one with the uh, with the countryside very quickly. 
yes, is eligible for the GT1 Sports Club driving program. Uh, so yes, it'd be easier to drive it on track and fun stuff like that. That's just, it's just crazy. It's even crazier that's available for the road. I mean, small round of applause, please. Yeah. Mad, but fantastic. Mm. Andrew, something a little more serious next. Yes, this is the sad news that the Executive Vice President of Design at Group Lotus, Peter Horbury, suddenly died last week. There are in the show notes a number of links to uh, several obituaries explaining his vast and very impressive career over uh, 50 years almost, um, working for many companies. But I think the thing that struck us the most Mm -hmm. out of all of this is the outpouring of uh, love for the man himself when the news came out that I I have not seen anything that isn't all about the man Mm. and then mention his career. He he was, sounds like he was an absolutely stunning chap to know, brilliant company. uh, And uh, all our thoughts go with uh, his family, obviously uh, his friends and his colleagues at this time. Mm. Absolutely. A hundred percent that. Uh, next up is the, well, it's not, it's a lunchtime watch this week. It is a lunchtime watch. This week it's on topgear.com and it is, um, it is Tom Ford and he's been wandering around and driving the Nevs NEVS Emily GT, which was, uh, Saab's secret electric car with a 600 mile range. Uh, it's kind of interesting. It has, um, motors mounted in the wheels which has liberated lots of stuff have a watch i don't want to go go into any more detail than that it's a really good video it's a really interesting car and it's what happens when you get a bunch of engineers and go uh engineers and designers and don't really give them much of a brief but marketing and management telling you things are too expensive seem to be being put to the side for a bit and people can just get on with developing something that's really technically awesome and looks great too well, yes, it, it is a case of both what could have been and what potentially can be, because we know um, we've covered on this show. There's one company that is all in uh, in the West Midlands. It's all about putting the motors in the wheels. Mm. This gives us an indication of the potential of what could happen. Yeah, you know, whilst we wait for the, oh, I hope I'm wrong in thinking that the solid state batteries is a bit like the autonomous vehicles oh they're, they're just a couple of years away mm. because whilst companies keep telling us they're they're nearly here they some companies have been telling us they've been nearly here for a decade now yeah uh, I, I do wish they would either admit defeat or get or get one out it, yeah. yeah yeah but this is a great video great video great video really interesting really interesting on a number of levels as well yeah it's very much a theme this week with electrics that uh, was that totally accidental, but yes, it does appear to have developed. N- that next way. week, we're going to talk about it's, it's crazy that we're doing that. We should be talking about V8s on the 4th of July, I tell you. <laughs> uh, but on Move Electric, we have our list of the week, which is nine electric cars and pickups you've probably forgotten even existed. Now, I've already banned Alan from picking one of these. I'm, I'm not allowed to. Right. So, my normal rule is if there's a list of EVs, you must choose the the BMW E1. I am not allowed to choose the BMW E1, but I also want you to know that it's on the list, and it's a very interesting list. It is a very interesting list. <sighs> I did not know many of these. I particularly the US ones. Knew a couple, but I didn't know the really ugly, bland one. 
some of them I have posted pictures of because I have seen them around the place on my travels in the past. Oh, so difficult if I'm not allowed that. Um, I am going to choose the Nissan Hyper Mini because I think it looks awesome. I think you could bring that out now. Oh, you could. Yes, but of course Nissan won't because Nissan. Uh, but it's got three-spoke wheels and everything. See where the Twizy came from? What, Renault? Yeah, yeah, but they're partners. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah. This, I, is before they, this is before they stabbed each other in the back and everything. Yeah, no, uh, the Hyper Mini is very, very cool. There was a, a sort of, I don't know, was it actually sold? Or did it hit the road? I don't know, but it does look like it was actually engineered for it. I'm now going to have to go off and look that up once we're finished recording. It said limited availability. Oh, there we go. Obviously, it was it was out for a little while then. As with many of these, as well as the original concept as well, which looked kind of Darth Vader-ish. It was kind of cool. You can a very if you go to Japan, you very occasionally can find one that come up comes up for sale. Mm, oh, okay. Were, most of them were taken back. By yeah, Nissan. they were t- uh, trialed in Kyoto, Yokohama, Ibina, and Tokyo, plus California and Pasadena. There we go. Yeah, and there's and there's another one on this list that we talked about before the show that we'd happily have as a local runaround. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah which is available in the UK as well as here in the US. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, do you want to take us to the end, finally? And finally this week, an artist has added lightness and electricity to the original Renault Twingo. The original Renault Twingo is 30 years old? She was. I'm so old. Uh, And what they have done is... (laughs) What? Um, uh, What they have done is, is reinterpreted it with the iconic silhouette uh, and its interior, and they've basically made a kind of see-through one, which is illuminated from inside. It's a really cool tribute. I I still don't really get it, to be perfectly honest. Um, They've just literally pulled everything out of it and then made it. Well, you can virtually see the, well, you see the structural rigidity. Now it is. It is the points, I but, mean, it, I'm trying, but it looks ace. I'm trying, I, think. I think it looks great. Yeah, but, but, but I love the lights, the way that they've integrated those in in the panels of the of the vehicle. It's uh, okay. So its iconic single volume silhouette, its characteristic headlight, its modular interior with its incredible spurts of space and luminosity, and what they were working on was the play of transparency, the interplay between color and materials. Actually, which it's a slightly disappointing part of it. I'm sorry, it is cool. It is cool. Please don't get me wrong. It is cool. But it's white with a red interior. And it was a car renowned for being available in a number of colourful colours. So that does seem a little bit of a shame. But it's really cool. And I think that the original Twizy, the Patrick Lucamore and his team's work is... It's it's as iconic as the Renault 4 anyway, if not more so. If not more relevant these days. It looks great. Mm, It does. He's moved to tears. That's how great it looks, everyone. Parish notes before we round up. We're going to try something new, and we promise we'll actually get to it because we've put it in our calendars, and neither of us (laughs) intends on dying between now and then. We're going to try to do a watch-along during the afternoons of Saturday and Sunday of the Goodwood Festival Speed coverage. We're warning you now. We'll let you know close to the time as we do it. I would love it that we could show the footage and then have us at the side commentating on it but we're not allowed to do that because copyright with live streaming 
people will swing down out of yes. Black Hawk helicopters and take us away. Yes. Use DMCA takedown notice. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. We're going to be trying to do that for those of us who can't get to it. And, and we'll work out the logistics and the timings of that. And we shall tell you as soon as we know. Yeah. We'll give you as much notice as we can, but essentially we'll have one screen that we won't be playing the audio from, which is all the video of what's happening. And then uh, the video, well, the audio won't come through because they're not showing the video uh, either. That makes sense. Of what's going on at Goodwood. And then you'll have our fantastic faces discussing things and talking about the particular bits and probably going, wow, that was close to the flint wall rather yes. a lot. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Or... Ooh, that was expensive. Mm, yes. Yes, so that's 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 coming up and we shall we shall keep you more informed over the next couple yes. of weeks. But we'd love you for you to join us and chat along with us as we're watching. Yep. Totally. Anyhow, folks, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what is the best way to get in touch with you? best way to get in touch with me is if you search for Crack Windscreen on Mastodon and Twitter, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to discuss with you more, maybe perhaps about that little electric BMW because you were denied that chance on the show, mm. what's the best way for them to do that? The best way to do that is on the social medias as well. Twitter or Mastodon, or I'm at AJP Bradley, that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Of course, that, uh, that, uh, that assumes that you're allowed to actually see any of my posts or my profile. Oh, yeah, that's a point we need to apologize that it wasn't our fault. But anytime we link to Twitter, if you're not logged in yeah. to Twitter, you will not see the links that we're putting in the show notes. And we do apologize for that. But as you will understand, uh, Phony Stark has taken that out of our hands. Yeah. Uh, uh, similarly, I also noticed that um, Stitcher, one of the podcast services, has been taken off there, so I need to get rid of any links to that uh, from within our uh, within our website as well. We'll also give you recommendations uh, for other apps you can try on both Android and Apple. We, we will we will be very loud about telling you I about those. I don't think anybody uses Stitcher anyway. I think we've got a few. Uh, I, need to check the stats. I always thought it was me in the past who did that in masters mm-hmm. we'll take a look anyway uh, and we will we'll, yeah we'll recommend uh, we'll, we'll shove some recommendations in the blog post I think on the site anyway that's far too much waffle uh, we'll be back very soon but until then I've been Alan Bradley I've been Andrew Clues and safe motoring